special in song. All right, so our first speaker tonight is going to be Mr. Zach Zadarsky, and he is a senior at Fairhaven, going to be graduating this year, and is going to be interning with Caleb Petrell in Maryland this summer. So praise the Lord for that, and uh, glad he was able to get something together last minute for us here, but uh, he's going to be the first speaker. So on uh, how this is going to work, you have 10 minutes uh, and I'm going to be in the back. I'm going to be keeping track. So when you hit 10 minutes, my hand goes up. Now, that doesn't mean stop. That just means you got about five more minutes to land the plane. Okay? So we can all get out of here before midnight, all right? So when you see my hand go up, don't, oh, no, don't panic on me, okay? I'm just letting you know, hey, we've reached 10 minutes, so you got about five minutes to land the plane gracefully. If you aren't past point one, start panicking. Then, but uh, I know y'all repaired well and done well. So, Zach, if you come on up and bring the word of God for us this evening. Okay. Good evening. Uh, if you turn with me tonight uh, to Hebrews twelve one, uh, this will be our main verse for the sermon, uh, and we will expound upon it uh, once we read it. 
Um, I don't know uh, about you, but uh, uh, at the end of this verse, as we read it, uh, we're going to be talking about a race. Uh, and I don't know about you, but if you could tell, looking at me, I don't really race that much. Uh, um, I've never liked running, uh, and I don't think I'll ever run a race. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll, I'll actually run a 5K or something one of these days. But anyways, for those who have, there are a series of things that are required for you to do to accomplish this feat. Uh, as we read here in the, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, uh, the beginning of the verse, Wherefore, seeing we also are compa- compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And this is the part that we're going to be talking about today. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Um, so tonight, we're going to be looking at the constant work uh, that you put in uh, to this race. And that, uh, so that when you're in the middle of the race, you're not going to give up or, uh, or give into your flesh. We'll look through the requirements of the race the attributes required to run the race, and lastly, the trials of the race. So first off, the requirements of, race, of the race, we're going to look at the course. We're all given a course when we are born. Uh, we are set on motion on a race, but at some point, hopefully that has happened in all our lives, we've redirected our course. We have looked upon God and we have received him as our Savior. Uh, so our first requirement is salvation. Uh, we need to receive the Lord as our Savior. Um, the mes- this message is primarily for the believer. Uh, so first off, uh, I need to ask you if you know your uh, if you know if you are saved or not. When you receive Christ, your race will begin. This course we are given isn't for man's praise or for working for salvation. It is a sacrificial race for the Lord. My next point is to stay hydrated and fueled for the race. Uh, I have a couple passages. You don't have to turn there. Uh, uh, but our, my first point is to, to have the energy to go through life's race, you need to make sure you're getting your da- daily intake of the word. Uh, if you look at Matthew 4.4, 4, it says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. My second point uh, for this is we are energized by being filled with the Spirit. Uh, if you look at Galatians 5.16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And lastly, to stay hydrated and fueled for this race, we cannot cheat while working towards being in the race. Uh, I've, I've tried to lose weight a lot, uh, and maybe we all have been on diets, and there's a thing nowadays called cheat days. Uh, we, we can't have that in the Christian life. Uh, and sometimes we have way too many cheat days than on days. But uh, if we look at Luke sixteen thirteen, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And lastly, for the requirements of the race, you need to put in time to grow so that you can produce uh, uh, we need to put in time to grow in the word that, uh, so it can strengthen us. It is profitable for a man to work on himself rather than indulge in things that will not better him for the master's use. I thought of uh, when I was writing this sermon, I thought of the parable of the talents where uh, 
the master gives the servants uh, different talents, and two of them come back with more than what they were given, and the other one comes back with the same amount. We cannot do that. We need to grow. Gro- growth is uh, vitally important. So after we've looked at the requirements of the race, next we need to look at the attributes required to run the race. First off, we need to be constantly moving forward. Uh, if we look at Philippians three twelve through 14, it says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And this is the verse, uh, this is the point that I'm trying to make, is I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are to be pressing towards the mark. Uh, In the race, we should not move backwards. Rather, we should aim to go forward uh, for Christ. I have an illustration for this. Uh, In 2017, uh, in the Venice Marathon, Iyab Faniel won the race after the front runners of the race were led astray by a motorcycle guide. About 16 miles in, the front runners ran several hundred meters in the wrong direction and had to backtrack. Uh, be careful who we are following and who is guiding us in our life because uh, we can be easily led astray. The devil will try to steer you in the wrong direction and lead you astray. Rather, we should follow the Lord who promises to guide us. Uh, we look at Psalms 32.8. eight. Uh, in 32.8 it says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with, my eye, with mine eye. God promises us that he will guide us. Uh, next, we need to have concentration in this race. Do not wander from the path. Rather, stay focused to reach the goal at hand, which is to finish this race. Uh, uh, don't get let laziness creep in and allow your mind to go away from where it needs to be. Uh, at this point, uh, this laziness is going to come in later on uh, in this sermon. But uh, we need to stay focused. Uh, one of the biggest things with staying focused is we need to make sure we get in our word every day. But also we need to stay focused as, uh, you know, not letting things uh, distract us. Pastor was preaching, I think, on a Wednesday about video games or other things. There's so many things with entertainment and other things that distract us from our main goal. Uh, rather, we should put in F, uh, work as in, uh, going out and soul winning. Um, there was a sermon. I actually was planning on preaching that one, but I couldn't find the whole outline. But uh, a sermon that I prepared, and I think it's in Ezekiel. He says, everyone that you pass that are not saved, uh, it is a sin to you for not speaking to them. So every single person we pass by that we don't witness to, we are sinning. And that, that was very convicting when I read that. Um, so, to make sure we have the right concentration. Uh, an example is the old story of the turtle and the hare. Um, obviously, the turtle and the hare, the hare was by far the one that was going to win. He was fast, the turtle was slow. And near the end of the race, the hare decided to take his mind off of finishing. Instead, he said, I was gonna, I'm going to go sleep, and I'm surely going to beat the turtle. So he goes underneath a tree, he sleeps, he wakes up. Next thing you know, he sees the turtle crossing the finish line. It's because he lost his concentration. He didn't decide to finish the race, then rest. Uh, He wanted it now. Um, Next, we have patience. We should have patience in the race. Uh, Look at Romans 5, 3 through 5. 
And it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Uh, when I was, uh, actually, this sermon came off of a uh, devotional that I wrote for, for school for young, for young men. And uh, when I was looking up the word patience, because obviously it's in, in this verse, I looked it up in the Strong's, and this was the definition. It said, one of the first words was cheerful, or hopeful, enduring, abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, and tarry. But cheerful definitely uh, hit my, you know, I, I saw it and it was cheerful. Like, you don't, when you think of patience, you don't necessarily think of cheerful. I think of that little kid that is promised something by their parents and, you uh, sit them down, and it, you have to wait for this, and they just start getting cranky and getting upset. Uh, staying with my with my family, you know, with Anya, I see this a lot, where you know, a, a person doesn't uh, patience doesn't really mean cheerful or happy, but in this sense, when you read it in the Bible, we should be cheerful. Uh, um, and I, when I saw that, I instantly thought of Joseph uh, in the Bible. He's in prison. And prison's not a cheerful place. But instead, he was patient. He was waiting for God to uh, move him to the next step in his life. And he didn't have a bad demeanor. Rather, he was cheerful, and he was a, he was a, a help there. Um, also with patience, we see uh, oftentimes we are not patient uh, because we make choices that will ruin our life. And I think of the prodigal son, who was not patient to get his... Uh, to get his uh, Share of the money, and instead he he took it right away and spent it, used it, and and ruined his life. Uh, actually, uh, looking at this, I also think of some of the points that Pastor brought up with uh, marriage. Some as kids, some younger folk, you know, they don't. Especially, you know, since I've been in college for four years, I've seen this happen, where young kids they come into college, and they're not patient to find the their uh, who they're going to spend the rest of their life with, and they get with someone, some pretty face or something and next thing you know they're off serving the world so patience is very important we need to be we need to be patient uh on the lord to guide us sometimes it's best to stay in our situation with a cheerful spirit enduring that which is in our life than taking things upon ourselves next we have perseverance uh walter elliott once said perseverance is not one long race it is many short races one after another uh God does not want us to give up on, on this race. Uh, there are plenty of times in the Bible people could have given up, but instead they persevered through their hardships. Um, Joseph, obviously, is one. Um, he could have given up once his brothers sold him into uh, slavery. He didn't do that. He could have given up when he went to jail. He didn't do that. And eventually he rose to be one of the most powerful men in Egypt. Um, Job. Job is definitely one that... Uh, you know, he could have given up uh, his wife. You know, he lost everything. And then on top of it, his wife's like, she says, curse God and die. Uh, so he could have given up, but instead he didn't. And in the end, God blessed him. Uh, so we need, to be pers- we need to have perseverance. Uh, have the integrity to know that even when it is tough, you will not back down on what you believe. Um, so next is my last point, and that is the trials of the race. Um, while looking through through these words, uh, 
I looked up the word race in the Strong's, and it means fight, conflict, uh, contention. This race will not be easy. We look in Psalms 50.15, and it says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. We need to call upon the Lord when we, we are in times of, of need, when we're fighting through this race. Uh, next is the trial of a temptation. Uh, we look in James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Uh, temptation, as Billy Sunday, uh, the race of life, there will be many temptations for people to be led astray. As Billy Sunday said, uh, temptation is the devil looking through a key, the keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and inviting him in. Uh, actually, uh, you know, with temptation, some people think there's no way out of temptation. But the Bible clearly uh, proves that wrong. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, uh, it says, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God doesn't give us any temptation that's too strong for us to overcome. So always know when you are tempted, when you're tempted to give up on, on this race, don't give in because God has given you things that he knows that if you put your faith and trust in him, you will be able to overcome it. <coughs> uh, uh, next is laziness. Uh, do what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, we, we think of laziness, we look at David. Um, David, you know, he went through a lot. He fought Goliath, and then he became, when he became king, he was fighting different kingdoms, uh, having to deal with the people, having to deal with uh, also other kingdoms, making a, a peace amongst each other. And you know what? He was very tired at the point where he was supposed to go to war. And so he decided not to. And during that time of laziness, instead of doing what he was supposed to be doing, he saw Bathsheba. And he committed uh, uh, fornication, adultery, and then eventually his, uh, um, you know, he he committed murder. And I'm sure if you ask David when we get to heaven, he would have rather went to war than than do anything like uh, rather than uh, rather than uh, rest um, back back uh, in the palace. And uh, by giving into laziness, we allow our mind to stray. We lose that concentration. My last. Uh, point is, don't give up. The Lord will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, and my last verse is Isaiah 41, 10, and then I'll finish it up with a quick story. Uh, Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Uh, to finish, uh, I think of the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Uh, Derek Redman was in fine shape to compete in the 400 meters. He finished the quarterfinal with ease, posting the fastest time. He was ready to compete in the semifinal. Uh, when the gun blew, uh, they were off. Derek started off in good form, but on the final half of the race, he tore his hamstring. He fell to the ground in pain. All those dreams of Olympic, Olympic glory that he had worked for had gone away. The medical team decided to bring out the stretchers to take him off the track. But uh, Derek wanted to finish the race. He started to hobble, but it was too much. He was in so much pain, it was a, 
rather pathetic sight seeing him hobble and keep on falling to the ground. Uh, when it looked hopeless for the young runner to finish, his father, Jim Redmond, made his way out on the track. His father had to barge his way through security to get out there to help his son. It was evident that he loved him. Jim reached out his arms, and his son fell onto him. Jim supported his son, and together they made their way to the finish line. The crowd of 65,000 rose to their feet, applauding the scene. Surely there were a few dry eyes in the stadium. By uh, watching this scene unfold, uh, you can look, at, look it up on YouTube and stuff, uh, I thought to myself, isn't this a perfect picture of our Father uh, being there for us? And we need to wait for Him and persevere, but He will be there to pick us up and help us cross the finish line and finish the race. Thank you. First and last verses. Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and also to 1 Kings 18, where we're starting off in Exodus chapter 3, so you have your Bible marked for 1 Kings 18. And mo- uh, most of us have probably heard the term of um, for Christians, and they say, man, he's really on fire for Christ. And I wanted to look at this evening two different um, fires that a Christian can have. And I like to call the first one convicting fire. It's kind of the fire that you get in the spur of the moment, usually if you're sitting there under a pastor or a special guest speaker or you're at a revival meeting. 
and the pastor's preaching, and in that moment you're like, man, and yeah, I need to I need to go out soul winning, or I need to go and um, get in Bible college or stuff like that. I convicting fire, and the second one I like to call it the consuming fire or the purifying fire. The convicting fire has to do with the outside, what we show on the out outward appearance, while the consuming fire has to do with what happens on the heart. And I think the good examples of these are in Exodus chapter 3 and in 1 Kings 18. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And on the 1 Kings 18... Verses 38 and 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. I want to look at the points tonight. First point B. Did, I want to compare and contrast the two different fires and... I want to point out how they are received. Consuming fire has to be asked of God. I want to point that out. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, in verse number 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. And it reminds me of convicting fire and the way that we're sitting there listening to the pastor, and then suddenly it's just we have that um, conviction that we need to serve the Lord. And that's what that reminds me of here in verse number 2, how it says this, The Lord appeared unto him in a flame out of fire in the midst of a bush. But I also want to notice how it's the bush, how it says, The bush burned with fire but was not consumed. Many times as Christians, it's very easy to be have that quick flame in our life and, and people can see it um, and they'll say, Man, he's on fire for the Lord, but as we go out, the fire is not on the inside, and as soon as it goes away, we just go, oh, well, it was easier back then, you know. Um, you know, I don't have the fire anymore. I don't feel like God's with me. And that's because they do not have the consuming fire because they do not ask of it, of God. And that is found in Second Kings, or First Kings 18, verse 37. In verse 37, it says, um, has Elisha praying to God, saying, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou, how, that thou hast turned their heart back again. We see here that Elisha was praying to God that the fire would come down and that God would show his power to the people to turn their hearts back to him. That reminds me of this, uh, sitting there in the um, uh, empowered youth, and the pastor um, was up there, and he was uh, preaching on this passage and how um, I, my mind went to wondering to different sermon topics about that, but uh, wondering, it consumed everything. It consumed the stone. It consumed the wood. It consumed everything. And that brings me to the second point. The consuming fire has lasting effects on one's life. Convicting fire, I don't think, 
um, when that um, fire went away from that bush, I don't think Moses was um, sitting there and looking at the um, bush, and the bush had some miraculous power. Um, after that, I don't think it had any healing power. I think it just came back to a normal bush, not very much changed. And However, with the consuming fire, I think that after the fire came down and consumed everything, that in the ground where the altar was, that there could have been a burn mark and um, anything on the mountain to remind the people that God's power was shown there. And an example of that is my grandparents have a fireplace, and although it hasn't been used in many years, the times it has been used, you can see scorch marks all inside the um, fireplace there. And it reminded me of this because the convicting fire, that quick um, thing we have, there's nothing, after that fire goes away, there's nothing to show that we had a relationship with God. We go back and we live the life we did before. However, with the consuming fire, the purifying fire, the fire that we have within, people can look back as they did with, uh, as Christians do with D.L. Moody and uh, Billy Sunday and William Booth, although they had mistakes later on, looking back in their life, people say, yeah, they were consumed with um, living for Christ. They had that fire within their heart. It wasn't just showing on the outside. Another one I think of is Martin Luther, although he had many um, false doctrine later on in his life, he did lead everyone to, um, in the Protestant Reformation, away from Catholicism. Uh, because he read in the Bible and he didn't just put on an outward facade and go out and witness to everybody and just um, have that convicting fire, oh, I need to do more for Christ here, and then it would go away. He uh, asked God to give it in his heart, and he um, was able to lead many to the Lord and away from Catholicism. But one thing I want to show with convicting fire, how it can turn to John 21, John chapter 21, with convicting fire, I wanted, uh, this was pointed out in Empowered Youth, and I wanted to point it out here. John 21, verse number 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. For a little bit of context, there. this was... Not long after uh, Christ's resurrection, Christ would be going about uh, seeing all his um, different disciples and those who followed him and appearing unto them. And at this point, the disciples haven't seen him for a little while. And to show how much they didn't have the fire within yet, they had the convicting fire because Christ had been with them. But as soon as Christ wasn't with them, they decided, I'm going to go back fishing and since Peter decided that, everyone else looked to him for an example and went back with him. And it says immediately. They didn't hesitate. They didn't try to say, well, we should continue going for Christ. We should wait till Christ comes to us. Um, they immediately followed Peter back to the old lifestyle that they had been living before. And that brings me to that third point. The consuming fire bears more fruit. Now, as we can see in Exodus chapter 3, that bush that was on fire and appeared to Moses, was in the wilderness while he was watching the flock. I don't think there was everybody passing around um, around him, and he's going, oh, hey, hey, Job, how you doing? Oh, hey, how you doing? Other shepherds out there. No, he's alone all by himself, and the effects of 
convicting fire is in that same way. Yes, we have the fire, and yes, we can reach other people for Christ, but the amount of people we reach is not as much because we are planted in a wilderness. As, but that is opposed to, in 1 Kings 18, how Elisha was on top of the mountain with all of Israel with them. And I believe it said, except for Jezebel, everyone was there. Then that would show, since um, after the fire came down, turn to 1 Kings 18. We'll read the last part of that. Yes, verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. This showed that the power of God, um, because Elisha was filled, had the consuming fire in his heart, and he asked God to show his power, to show the consuming fire. The people of Israel saw it and all turned to God. Now, whether they kept with that promise and kept with God, um, is in between them and the Lord, but it does show that they saw the power, and because it was on the mountain, and because it was the consuming fire, the purifying fire, and not just an outward show, the Lord was able to use it in a mightier way than if Elisha had been, as he was later on in the next chapter, running for his life and afraid. So in conclusion... Wanted to review on fire but not consumed. As Christians, it is very easy to sit in a revival meeting and to get that quick burst of revival, and you know we'll follow it for a couple of weeks, but then we'll slide back into it. I find that very easy to do after even after empowered youth. Find myself going back, and you know after my knee went out, you know I, oh, I can't serve God anymore. I can't go out soul winning. You know you'll have to wait till it gets healed, Lord. Uh, but realizing that it's not that hard to go even to just put on a brace and just go out with a track and pass it out for maybe an hour or go throughout the um, my neighborhood and pass out a track and that I can still do something for Christ so I'm going to challenge everyone here tonight to as uh, we go into this next new year and have all the revival meetings lined up is to ask the Lord for that consuming fire to go into our hearts instead of just settling for the convicting fire to show on the outside. Our next song is going to be 407, right across the page from the last one, 407. All the way, my Savior leaves me. Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. There before me, Jesus, to with all things well, for I Jesus, do with all things well. 
Let's sing it on that third verse. All the way my Savior leads me, all the fullness of His love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal brings His flies to realms of day, lives my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all away. Lives my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all away. All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Let me get my notes out here right quick. Now this is something that I believe the Lord has been giving to me for a while. It's, it's, it's rather a kind of a practical application of a, of a well-known Bible story. Um, Matthew, once you see um, the, uh, the context and uh, whatnot, you should be able to recognize the story. Uh, Matthew fourteen fifteen through 23. Beginning in verse 15, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And when they had eaten, what were about five thousand men beside women and children? And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And if you write on the next chapter, uh, chapter 15, 33 through 39, these stories are very similar. It's a feeding of the 5,000, and then the next chapter is the feeding of the 7,000. Very similar miracles. And in verse 33, And his disciples say unto him, When shed we have much bread in the wilderness, as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto him, uh, unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and gave thanks, and brake them, and gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat all, and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they said, And they that did eat were four thousand men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, and took, and took ship, and came into the coast of Magdala. So we, we see in this story, I, I tried to emphasize the word filled. I, that, is, that is something, um, I heard a message on uh, filled. It was up at college, uh, Pastor Mitchell. He used this, um, these passages, and he was preaching about being filled, being filled with the Spirit, being filled spiritually. Are we being filled spiritually? Um, you may ask. How do we be filled spiritually? It's, it's quite simple. Uh, daily devotions, that is, that is one avenue. Um, 
going to a good church, uh, hearing the word of God, how the word of God is um, interpreted as a big deal and when going to church. You don't want a church that will, hey, if you pray for a Ferrari, you go to Ferrari or um, so on. You want a church that will preach the word of God in the right manner, how and not make up some some gospel to fit their um, to fit their narrative or or, or whatever else. Um, another avenue that he spoke of was uh, uh, proper media, um, music, podcasts, um, things that you would fill your mind with on the daily uh, on a daily day basis. Um, so in these chapters, we see that. Uh, the Lord, he, he broke the bread and he gave to the disciples and the disciples to the multitudes and the multitudes were filled. The disciples were also filled. We, we could gather that. The, the disciples also ate. Uh, we see that the multitudes were filled. That's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on rather the, the two groups of the story. I want to focus more on the multitudes and the disciples. What What is different? What is the difference between them? We uh, we see that the multitudes, um, they, uh, they were there. They were listening to uh, Jesus um, expound scripture to them. They were listening to uh, the wisdom that the Lord was trying to give them. Um, and that's what they were there for. Uh, the disciples, they were also there for that. They were, they were present. Um, and when they sat down to eat, they were filled. The same... Um, so disciples, they were, we, we both agree that the multitudes and disciples were filled. It's, it's not that they were filled as the problems. The problem is what happened afterward. We see that the multitudes, um, the Bible says that Jesus sent them away. Jesus sent the multitudes away. They, they went home. The multitudes, they, they left Jesus. They went home. They're in a desert place, um, probably uh, several miles away from uh, the the disciples said that they are in a desert place, uh, in the wilderness. So there, we could gather that they are a good journey away from home. They left their comfort. They went to Jesus, and um, Jesus didn't want to send them home so that they uh, don't go and faint in the wilderness. So the multitudes they went home with the disciples. They they stayed with Jesus. All right, they, that is, that's the difference. The, the multitudes, they, they left, they went home, they went to their place of comfort, and the disciples, they stayed with Jesus. Or we could contrast it like this. The multitudes left the provider of the food. The multitudes left that provision, the one who provides the food, and the Bible says that they took up leftovers, so they also left that. They, the Bible doesn't say that they took leftovers, so they left. The disciples... They stayed with Jesus. We could say that they stayed with the source of the food. They stayed with Jesus. They stayed with the one who could provide them more food. So, let's put this into kind of a a spiritual filling perspective. Um, The source of food. What is our source of food? It's it's the Bible. Uh, whether it is expounded to us by um, a preacher, uh, a Sunday school teacher, um, or if we read it 
for ourselves, for our daily devotions. We can be filled through those avenues. We, we can be filled. But all too often, myself included, I, I struggle with this a lot, is that I'm like the multitude. I leave. I leave that source of food. I, I don't stay there. I go back to my comfort, whether it is in my um, mind or my activities. My activities come from my, my thoughts of comfort. I go over there. I leave the thoughts of the Bible. I leave the spiritual food of the Bible to go back home. The disciples, however, if they stayed with Jesus, right? In a, in a, in a biblical perspective, we could look at this and see that So often that instead of staying with Jesus, like instead of being with Jesus, um, let me gather my words for a second. Um, It is uh, a wise Christian, I would say, would be one that stayed with the food source, that would stay with the provision, that would stay with the one who could give him spiritual filling. Um, A wise Christian, he stays in God's provision. Um, Even if it is uncomfortable, uh, the disciples, they went into a storm immediately afterward. They got into a boat, and they were immediately into a trial. And they stayed, since they stayed with Jesus, since they stayed with the provider, they could be continually filled. The multitudes, when they left, when they left Jesus, all right, they went back to their comfort. Could they eat Jesus' food again, the, the food that Jesus provided for them? Could they? The answer is no. They, they went back home. They went back to their comfort, and they filled themselves with what they could, their own means of filling themselves, you could say, that they... They had their own means of filling themselves, and all too often, I do that. I go home, I go to my place of comfort, and I fill myself, my mind, my heart, I suppose, with things that I can, that, um, that, that I want to fill myself with. I want to, um, or that whatever I can, just whatever floats my way, I suppose, um, however, the disciples, a wise Christian, the disciples like the like a wise Christian like the disciples will stay with the provider, even though he's he's had his devotions in the morning, but he didn't leave the presence of God. He had his devotions, or he went to church, but instead of going home figuratively and also um, realistically, or whatever that word is, um, figuratively and um, in reality, when going home, he stayed, a wise Christian like disciples, they stay with the provider. Because how else are they going to be filled with spiritual things? The Bible says that they had leftovers. So they stayed with some, the, what the Lord provided. They stayed with what the Lord provided and were able to be filled with what the Lord wanted them to be filled with. Um, John six twenty six. if you turn over there, John... Six twenty six.
the Bible says that um, the, uh, when they had found him on the other side, um, this is the same story as told as John, and, and when he had crossed over into the other side of um, where he was going, um, um, on the boat with the disciples, uh, we'll begin in verse 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence com- when comest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting, which the Son of Man, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So these multitudes, they, they left. They, uh, for the time, they, they filled themselves with whatever they could, their own means. They filled themselves with their own means. But they found Jesus again. They, they went back to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, that you're, you're not here because you saw the miracle. You're here because I gave you to eat. I gave you something to be filled. Because, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled... And, but here's the problem. They had to come back to Jesus. They had to find Jesus again. They had to return to his presence. A wise Christian, like the disciples, they never left his presence. They were with him. They were with him on the Sea of Galilee. They were, uh, they were with him through that trial because a storm came up. They were with him through that trial. They stayed with the provider. They were there with the provider of the food. And that's what I want to, that's what I'm trying to emphasize is that all too often, us as Christians, we, we're like the multitudes. We leave church, we leave our time of devotions, and we go, we're filled, but we get hungry again, as is natural. We get hungry again spiritually, and we try to fill ourselves with whatever. Until finally, uh, the next day comes, we have devotions, or um, Sunday comes, or Wednesday comes, and, and we hear a sermon, and we're filled again, and hey, that's great. But, wouldn't it be nice to be filled constantly, instead of being hungry constantly, like the multitudes? Wouldn't it be great to stay with the provider of our spiritual fulfillment, instead of leaving off, being spiritually hungry, and then coming back and like, hey, this is great, this is awesome, and then going back into it. So, um, kind of a, a plug over here is that, how do we, how do we stay with Jesus when, uh, as, uh, as a provider? How do, we, how do we be like those disciples? How do we be like a wise Christian? Well, that's to stay in the presence of God, or as most people know it, uh, walk with God. Or, but how do you walk with God? I, there's a sermon that we heard, and it, it's a great illustration because it's still with me, is that um, I believe it was Pastor Ramus. He, he was talking on staying in the presence of God. It, staying in the presence of God, he was talking about Enoch and how he walked with God. <clears throat> how do you walk with God? Um, walking with God is a lot like a relationship. I don't wake up and look at my brothers or my mom, or you don't look at your significant other, and, all right, you got 15 minutes to tell me about your day, and that's it, all right? 
15 minutes, all we got. 50 minutes, and you don't talk to each other for the rest of the day. That's, that would be quite um, concerning for any earthly relationship. But all too often, we do that with God. We're like, all right, God, we got you 30 minutes, and your time starts now. Teach me something. Rather, to walk with God, it's more, I had my devotions, yes, but it's throughout the day, Lord, uh, I got a problem with my car. The car has started running. Lord, uh, am I doing this right? You're, you're going to the workplace. You're, you're, um, um, you're going to be dealing with your worldly coworkers. Like, Lord, uh, help me. I, I need help with this. Um, they're talking about this. I don't want to be involved in this. But if they involve me in this conversation, what do I say? Lord, help me. Or, Lord, um, I'm trying to help this person. Lord, am I doing this right? Lord, how can I do this better? How can I do my ministry better? Lord, how can I teach these kids? Or, it's, Lord, I got a problem with my car. I'm frustrated. Lord, I am irritated. This bolt won't, won't come out. It, and when you finally get off the bolt, it's, it's the wrong bolt. You didn't even need to take it out. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you do with somebody that you have a relationship with? You're just like, sometimes I'll walk into my mom and it's like, Mom, this is irritating. This is really irritating. That tree outside is here, it's irritating. There's communication there. There's constant communication. Our family isn't the best at communication, but still, there should be communication with one you want a relationship with. And so, how to walk with God is that constant communication is, Lord, I need help with this. Or, Lord, I'm frustrated. Lord, this is my problem right now. And it's constant. It's constant throughout the day. It isn't just, I had my devotions. We caught up for like 30 minutes. Bye. So um, that's, that's something that the Lord has been dealing with me uh, over the last uh, our college semester. And I, I pray that uh, it would be a blessing to you. I, but um, so just a kind of a challenge. Uh, don't be like the multitudes. Be like the disciples. Stay with the provider of the food and continually walk with him. We aren't going to have an invitation, but we are, one song? We are going to pray. All right, we're going to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for staying. I thank you, Lord, for um, uh, these messages, Lord, uh, running a race, Lord, that we're in a race and that there are things that we need to do, that uh, we need to do to prepare for that race, and Lord, that, um, Lord, uh, instead of, our, this that quick fire of conviction, Lord, uh, that we should serve you, Lord. It goes out so quickly, and I, I pray, Lord, that instead of that uh, quick little uh, spark of conviction, Lord, it would it would catch uh, fire in our hearts and turn into a consuming fire where we we change for the better. We change how you would have us, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we walk with you, Lord, that we would stay in in your provision, stay where you would have us in constantly be filled with your what you would have us to be filled with, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we go our separate ways tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.